Hello and welcome to the Football Funders Podcast, episode 32. Again, no Pete this week, hopefully back next week. So it's me, Dan and Ryan. Hello. How are we? We're good. How are you? I'm not bad. I've had a very good day. So Excellent. we'll go and we'll start with our sponsors. The welcome to the Proper Blokes Club. The Proper Blokes Club is a community project for men's mental health. The main aim is to break the stigma of men's mental health and start talking openly about it. Exercise has been a proven way to help people with any sort of mental health issues by releasing endorphins that make you feel good about yourself. Walking is free, so it makes a great way to start and get you out in the fresh air. Ryan, you've been on some of these walks in Woolwich. Uh, tell, them, tell the people a bit more about them. I was actually on a walk last night, as it goes. It is literally just a case of the lads meet up because they've got stresses, they've got troubles, they either want to talk about them or they want to forget them. So you meet up with blokes that are in similar situation to you, go for a nice long walk, vent, forget, just have some, most of the time we just have a laugh and have a chat and just forget our worries uh, and end up at the pub, have a drink and then go home feeling a lot better. So... If you go to www.properblokesclub.co.uk, have a look on there because walks are popping up here, there and everywhere. If they're near you, go along if you feel you need it. Sometimes it's just better. You don't want to talk to your spouse or to your family or even to your GP. You just want to forget the world for, for an hour or two. Then go to the website, have a look, and there might be one near you. If not, get in touch with the guys at Proper Blokes Club and they might be able to help set you up. Yeah, and of course, let us talk Mental Health Football Club Raising Money for Mind Charity. Worth supposed to play in the game tomorrow. Sadly, that's been cancelled. Essex Charity team had to had to cancel the game. So let's do a kind of buy in that game, but keep an eye out because we will be in the next round of the Cup, hopefully featuring again soon. So we're opening today with Manchester United, which I'm sure a lot of you have listened a lot about in the general news. But Ryan, you, you had some concerns, more not about Man United, but more about Ragnick himself. Yeah, and it's not anything to do with the state of play of, of how we're performing on the pitch or anything. If you look at his record, his record is actually pretty decent. I think it's six games, lost one. So it's, it's not bad. But my concern is how he's treating the players because we've seen a couple of incidents recently where Anthony Martial was, he came out to the press. And Ralph Ranić said that Anthony Martial had refused to play for Manchester United. And it's not the old days now players have got platforms such as social media to vent their opinion or, or their perspective on on a given situation and Martial came out and said no I've never refused to play and he was promptly shipped off to Sevilla which everybody knows that Martial wanted to leave anyway it's no secret but at no point he claims did he want to down tools and not play for Manchester United and then lo and behold on transfer deadline day we had a similar situation with Jesse Lingard Jesse Lingard was told by Ralph Ranić he could leave the club as long as a sufficient deal was struck with a club. There was several negotiations for Jesse Lingard, several clubs, Newcastle, Tottenham, I believe, came in at the last minute as well. West Ham came in at the last minute. Nothing was agreed. And then it, Ralph Ranić announced in the press that Jesse Lingard had requested a couple of days off to get his head right. Jesse Lingard obviously refuted this on social media saying the club advised me to have a couple of days off due to personal issues, explanation mark, and that he was in the right mental space to, to play football and he was available to play. So my concern now is that we've got a manager that is essentially trying to throw players that he doesn't want or that are due to leave under the bus and trying to alienate players from the squad a player in Jesse Lingard who, given a good run of games we've seen at West Ham, is a very useful player to have. 
And given the high pressing style that Ralph Ranick favours, you would think that someone as high energy and as high press as Jesse Lingard would be valuable to him, even if he is leaving in six months' time. There's no, there's nothing written in the rules of contractual law or any anywhere else that says if a player's got six months left on his contract and he he's not going to renew, that he isn't still going to play and give 100% for you. I personally don't like the way Ralph Ranić's done it. And he's been very, very coy about backtracking on his statements. It was very much a case of after the Jesse Lingard thing. He was like, well, we need to move on from that now. There was no actual, okay, I made an error or I read the situation wrong. It was just, okay, we're just going to move on from that now because we need to focus on the future. So I don't, I don't know if about you, Dan. I just don't think that managers should be allowed to behave like this and get away with it. I understand that managers should be the head of the club, but you can't come out and basically lie on international media and then end up being completely contradicted by the player. Because not only does it make the player look bad, it also then makes the manager look bad because he either doesn't know what he's doing, has misread the situation, or he's basically just lying to the press to make the player look bad for no apparent reason. What's your take on it, Dan? So I've got two takes, one from a footballing side and then one from a personal side. To do that to, to Martial, and especially, especially Lingard, someone who's been really open with his mental state, his well-being, etc. You're not going to adhere yourself to, one, a player like Jesse Lingard, but also from um, a managerial, executive, whatever his roles. What is what is the official title once he finishes the At year? At the he's moment, he's... He's interim head coach, and then. But I mean, when he in the summer, yeah, what does he become? As far as I'm aware, he just becomes a consultant. Oh, okay. I thought he had an official title. No, he is just a paid consultant. If you're turning against players this easy, one, you're uh, the fact that the players know you're in the short term; they're not going to do anything for you. The players will will turn on him because, from what we're aware, Jesse Lingard is probably one of the most liked people at the ground. And the way that the other players talk about him, the coaches and stuff, um, you, you know, you're turning on probably the, one of the most popular people in the dressing room. That's not going to get you endeared, especially in the situation where you've only got six months to pull something out of your ass. And probably not a nice way of saying it, but it is, isn't it, really? He's got six months and then he'll be in a consultant role. But then even as a consultant role, players will listen to this, him say this, say, I don't want to be involved with this guy or a club that involves this guy. So... I think from that side of things, it's really bad. You need to look after people, especially, and I don't mean not singling out Jesse Lingard because he's Jesse Lingard. Someone that has been so open and, and, and you know, was congratulated for coming out and speaking about problems that he had. You're going in the media and trashing him when, as you said, it, which is a complete lie because you know what you've said to that person. So I think, and also, as I said, from a playing perspective, that's not going to build a, a leadership. It's not going to build... Your players aren't going to want to play for you if you they know that the minute they don't want you anymore, they're going to turn on you. So I mean, uh, it can't be good for him. And I don't, I'd be shocked to be honest, sitting there right now. I don't think that consultant role will be a thing come the summer. I think it's, if he does, I think people are under the illusion that he might be going and becoming the director of football. Well, that's what I thought. But my understanding is purely on board as a consultant to the board. My understanding of it, previously, everything was handled under Edward Rod. He was the hirer, the firer, the the financier of the access to the cash. And the position has now been taken over by, I can't remember his name now. He's someone I've never heard of. He's another businessman. But my understanding is, is that Ralph Ranick was supposed to advise him 
when they needed him. So when it comes to like an appointment or of a new coach or something like that, they would call up Ralph Ranić and say, right, come in, we need to have a chat. We're looking at so-and-so as a manager. But I mean, if this is Ralph Ranić's level of management skill with players, can you imagine how he's going to behave when he's essentially advising an entire club on how to conduct their business? Well, for instance, I using an example of a game that I watched Man United recently, they lost to Middlesbrough on penalties in the FA Cup. I know you could argue that the Middlesbrough goal shouldn't have counted. Very true, in my opinion. You had VAR, you ignored it, but we've discussed VAR. I was watching that game saying this game is crying out for Jesse Lingard because Lingard just gets on the ball. And you said when he's playing well, he just brings this energy that I don't think many other players have. And I know people go, that's not really a, a talent or whatever the right word is, but I think he's one of those players. Charlton had it with Johnny Williams. Obviously, a lot of lower level compared, but when Johnny Williams came on and got the ball, you felt the change in the movement. And I felt when Lingard plays well and he's he's enjoying his football, when he gets on the gap, as much as I don't think Lingard is the best winger or the best cam attacker for wherever he plays, when he gets the ball, he gets an air of excitement. You don't know what's coming. And Middlesbrough seeing, and, and it, as you've said before, talking about Ragnick, Man United were very, very predictable. Middlesbrough set up knowing exactly what they were going to do. And I just thought, someone like Lingard, you need to keep around. But if he's that desperate to chuck him on his back over like something so silly like just you've asked him you've basically asked a player to have some time off like there you go what and you're coming out into the media from what I can tell pretty much like he didn't he just came out with it it wasn't really like brought up in a way he just said it he he was literally asked who was available for selection that was it and And he he, just just wrote just talked some bollocks he just run him under the bus (laughs) and it was it was the same with Cavani he was just like Who's, who's available? He's like, well, Cavani, we've given an extra couple of days off because he's tired after coming back from international duty. He's got jet lag. Jesse Lingard's not available because a loan deal didn't go through, so he needs a couple of days to get his head straight, and Jesse's asked for it. That's the thing I don't understand, is he actually said, Jesse asked for this. And it's... A, it's not in the player's real position to ask for a couple of days off unless it's something serious. And, and secondly, why do you need to say he asked for it? Just say, like, transfers didn't happen, so he's not available for yeah, selection. Yeah, a mental day or whatever you want to That's it. You don't need to, to say call it. it. He just, for no reason, he seems to be trying to stir the pot. And I just don't think it benefits anyone because he's got six months left or whatever it is till the end of the season. How many months we got till the end of the season? Three, four months until the end of the yeah. season? He's got three months to get Man United into the top four. They've lost Mason Greenwood for obvious reasons, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. Anthony Martial, who, although hasn't really done anything, that's another attacking body gone. Van der Beek, who's supposed to be a 10, he's supposed to be a cam, he's gone as well. So you've lost three players that can play an attacking position and you're now alienating a fourth for no apparent reason. And the players who, it's quite a close-knit dressing room, wonder what Paul Pogba must be feeling because he's another one with only, he's only got till July on his contract. So it's going to be a case of, oh, if I have a bad game, is, is the gaffer going to throw me under the bus as well? Yeah, and that's, that's exactly what I meant when we were talking about, when I said about what other players must think sitting in the changing room. How can you be setting in the knowledge that you do one thing wrong and this guy is not afraid to throw you under the bus. But like we all agreed that it was time, like Lingard's time was done. 
Donald Lingard, Martial's time at United was done, but to try and put it on him when it wasn't true is it's very it's just not fair for, for on Anthony Martial. And but I think the majority of Man United fans knew and understood that that's that's not you know that's not what's happened. But it's as as you rightly said, like you just wouldn't as a player you don't want to be around that do like you, the idea is that you set up to be honest with your players and have a good relationship. I don't believe that there's a there's a good relationship there since since he's got in the stadium in the stadium in the club. There's so much has been said that those players don't like him. Something's not right with him. And um, we'll see that's maybe some that may be one of the things that there's, there's a problem with. But I think it's that there's wider. As I said, I don't think Ragnick, even though he has going to have this consultant role right now, I'm not sure if come May, June, July, that role still exists for him. I, th- I think it will exist for him, but how heavily they rely on him and whether he's essentially just picking up some cash for doing nothing much like Marcel Brands did at Everton. But I mean, we've said on this podcast, we've called out people like Jose Mourinho for attacking players in public. This is something that Alex Ferguson, I don't really want to keep going back to Alex Ferguson, but if you look at someone like Alex Ferguson or or Pep Guardiola, they don't throw their players out under, under the bus in public. They might have a word with them or read them the riot act in private, but in public, nothing said if it gets leaked afterwards then he can't help that but you don't walk into a press conference sit down and say right yeah he's not here because he says that he wants time off when it's just blatantly not true I don't understand and like you said I don't think the players have taken to him at all I think just the fact that he's changed his tactics so quickly after a couple of games has shown that his methods don't work in any way and this is a guy also who's for all his talent of helping build structure and foundation to clubs, which, to be fair, he has done, his managerial record is nothing. People mm. criticise Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I think this guy's won, what, one trophy in Germany? He won a cup in Germany once? Yeah, I think he won at, won at Stuttgart, didn't he? About 10 years ago or something. So he's got no real like qualifications to actually be the manager of Manchester United. I think he was successful as a director at Red Bull wasn't it and I think they were just hoping that because of his managerial he had an, he, because he had a managerial past that they could put him in this transitional mode but um, to be honest it'd have been better just hiring someone because I think the only thing he's doing in my opinion is is weakening the atmosphere around the club and I don't think top man I don't know about you as a United fan but I don't see you not making the top four I think we might but it might just be a fact of everybody else's it's a mad scramble to not qualify for the top four by the looks of <laughs> Literally, it. Literally, yeah. As soon as someone gets on a decent run and they get to just ready to take over the full spot, they lose it. Man United did it. We, if, Had we beat Burnley, we would have taken full spot. And the week before, I think it was West Ham would just take the full spot and then Drew Spurs, and lost it. Spurs could have done it last night as we record on Thursday, but they lost to Southampton, so they didn't do it. Chelsea also have a few games. To play because they're off in the Club World Cup. I think the other thing, like you said, they should have appointed someone. But again, it goes back to what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Who do you get to take over? Just like we said at Chelsea, who is there really? Who's the top manager that, that's going to go there? Because I can't see any right now. Pochettino's obviously been linked, but 
I don't see Pochettino as a world-class top manager. He did great things at Southampton. He did very good things before the wheels fell off at Tottenham. Anyone can win anything in P- with PSG in France. Let's be honest. It's not like he's gone somewhere. And, and he's built- not, not particularly done well in France overall, really. Well, to be honest, he's been given a bit of a poison chalice, to be honest, because Leonardo essentially runs that club. So whoever Leonardo doesn't like doesn't go. And then you've got a combination of Neymar and Messi and Mario Icardi. Ramos. They're they're all volatile characters. You're not going to manage that dressing room very well. But one interesting name has come up. I know we're going to talk about him, I think, next week when Pete rejoins us. I know he's very eager to talk about this. But there has been a lot of discussion about a Mr. Wayne Rooney potentially getting the Manchester United job in the summer if he keeps Derby up. What do we think of this? Because for me, it smacks of Frank Lampard Mark II at Chelsea. Yeah, I mean, I was never a fan, as we discussed last week, and I said it before. I think he needs to earn his strikes. Listen, I think he's done a fantastic job at Derby. And if if Derby do sadly go down, I'd like to think they'd give him the chance to get back up from League One. But that's a a jump that... You think from Derby and their current situation to... To Man United, it's a bigger job than when Dar- when Lampard jumped from then Derby to Chelsea. So no, I don't think so. The one I think clubs Chelsea, maybe Man United will be looking at some. I think, by the way, that Chelsea could easily tack too sure if they don't win anything this year, regardless of where he finishes in the league. I think Eric Ten Hag. I know everyone says it every year, but now Overmars is gone. They were very close, weren't very linked. So I just wonder if maybe Ten Hag, if you if you're going to grab Ten Hag, this summer's where you try it. Also, I, I will say as a Man United fan, if Tuchel does get outed at Chelsea, I'd welcome him at Old Trafford. I, I think he's mm. exactly the sort of manager that we need at Old Trafford. The, the one that I keep seeing get rumoured is Brendan Rodgers. However, pr- again, I'm pretty sure he's about to get sacked at Leicester. I, don't, I wouldn't if I was Man United. However, the worrying thing about United, I'm not a United fan, but from the outside in, Brendan Rodgers is 100% someone that I could see Man United hiring. <laughs> I don't understand why, though, because, I mean, everyone raves about the job he did at Liverpool, but he didn't win anything, did he? He didn't no, win but the I league. He, he turned Liverpool from a side that was sitting... He got close. Yeah, he got yeah, close. But I think the team that he inherited and where they were and the team that he left and where they were was much improved. Whether that was him, the people behind the scene, uh, it's, it, you can't debate that the team that he took over from Roy Hodgson was... God awful compared to yeah, but team that he left club. He still didn't win anything of, of any significance. He didn't win a league, no, no, or a but, Champions League. But he made a massive. Step. Yeah, Liverpool weren't even in Europe. That's but the thing. Is he going to be the guy? Much like my argument about Gareth Southgate. Much like the guy. Is he the guy that's going to win you the league? I don't think he is because he did it at Liverpool. He got him to a certain point and then the wheels fell off. He took no, over but, a very good Leicester, and now the wheels have fallen off. No, I don't. I think his his role is to take a take a, a an average side and make them good, and that's it. Like people say, well, but Leicester won the league with Ranieri, a complete fluke because the next year they barely stayed up. And that was work done by Nigel Pearson in advance. Let's yeah. be honest. so. Brendan Rodgers kind of took them over, and and he did up their game, uh, but I still think they're short. Actually, on managerial odds for the Man United job, Pochettino is still favourite. But is Brendan Rodgers just not the English Pochettino? Well, he's not English, but yeah. Is Brendan Rodgers not English? No, he's talking Irish. Oh, is he? Sorry, my mistake. I oh, have you not heard him speak? No, I haven't. Oh, is, is, he's is got he a very just, good character. Okay, let, let me rephrase. Let me rephrase. <laughs> um, is, is he British. the British Pochettino? Yeah. 
gets gets clubs close but can't get them over the line. I think he's, as I said, I think he's that middleman. He's that middleman that kind of, for example, what remember what we were all saying about Oli, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer, about being that middleman to succeed. Yep. I think Brandon Rodgers, Brent Brandon, who's Brandon Rodgers, Brendan Rodgers could be that man that he's builds the English. up. He's the English yeah. Rodgers. That's what he's it is. The, <laughs> he, um, he's the transitional man that that Leicester will be hoping their next manager is the man that step him up. Hoping is the key term. Whoever it is has got to stop this backwards decline because I think everybody moans about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and they they judge him ridiculously because like on the one hand he was never good for Man United so you shouldn't expect too much but then he's not winning trophies because it's Man United who should be winning trophies so he failed. I actually think Oli did a very good job. And in yeah. hindsight, I think he maybe should have left at the start of this season because mm. he brought the culture back to the club. He he brought the club up to a level where I think a Pochettino or a Rogers would bring him to the same level. And then you really need that top class guy. I think the only thing that stopped Man United going for Conte was not his aggressiveness or his terseness with players. I think that's actually missing at Old Trafford. I think it was the fact that Conte actually wanted to spend his way out of trouble and mm. just buy, 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 buy players. And I think Man United were trying to move away from that format because we tried it under Louis van Gaal and it just did not work. He just spent about £500 million on 10 tonnes of crap that we couldn't get rid of for years. I wonder, and I know it's something that we've discussed in this podcast, so we'll try not to go into it, but I still wonder if Ole Gunnar Solskjaer hadn't, if Cristiano Ronaldo hadn't come this summer and it was left to what Oli was building, I actually think United would be in a better place. But that's a debate I think we've already had for another day. All but I'll let you comment on, on it quickly. One, all I will say on that one is I don't think it's Ronaldo that was the issue. I think because of the signings we made overall in Jadon Sancho, in Varane and Cristiano Ronaldo, the emphasis at Old Trafford on the style of football we were playing had to change. Because under Oli, for two relatively successful years, success is a relative term. We well, played, his aims. Yeah. He, we played a counter-attacking style of football and we played to the strengths of the players that we had, which is why people like, oh God, his name's popped out of my head. Marcus Rashford, thank you. Why Marcus Rashford was doing so well? Because we were playing to his strengths as a counter-attacking team. But then because we signed quality players, world-class players like Varane, Sancho and Ronaldo, the emphasis was then on us to contain the ball, manipulate the ball, assert a different style of play, assert ourselves onto the opposition rather than sit back and counter. And I don't think, A, we had the midfield central midfielders to do that, which we've discussed before. And B, I don't think Oli knows how to play that way. And I think that's where he got caught. Yeah, I said it before when we talked about, I think he, he did what Man United brought him in for, didn't he, at the end of the day? So I don't think you can, um, people can be too harsh. They're going to be. They're always going to be. So we'll go on to FM. Okay, football manager, for those who don't know. Me and Ryan and Pete, we're all massive football manager fans. So we're going to do a little segment in the, in the coming weeks about players we've signed, why we like them, how they play, etc. I've got two, Ryan. I'm sure you might have one or two for this week. So I'll let you go first. The first recommendation I've got for anyone playing FM is if you've got a little bit of money, there's a player at Atalanta. If you need a goal scorer, and by a goal scorer, I mean goal machine, then Roberto Piccoli is your man. He's 20 years old, 
So any club that has got a preference for signing young talent for the future, he will cost you around about 15 million pounds. But if you're savvy to football manager like Dan is, and he taught me how to be, you can offer about five million pounds up front and then about 10 million pounds based over three years and they'll bite your hand off. This lad is first team ready. He will go straight in. He's a goal machine and absolutely literally just got, that's all he does. He scores goals. He's supposed to be used as a target man, but I use him as an advanced forward and basically tell him to shoot on sight. And I had him for an Everton side that I took up to second in our first season after signing him, after I sold Calvert-Lewin for £75 million to Newcastle and paid £15 million for Roberto Piccoli. And he scored 21 goals in 28 Premier League games. That's the sort of goal return we're talking about. And for 15 million quid and five million pounds up front. And he doesn't want the, the earth as well. One thing you'll notice with his agent is they negotiate future wage rises in terms of games played. So by the end of the season, if he's your number one striker, he's on about 86 grand a week. So go get him scouted. Trust me, he scores goals left, right and centre. I've... He is now the first player I sign, no matter what club I take over, providing I've got the cash. Right, so my first one, obviously I said I've got two. So my first one is a midfielder from Mould. Mulder, is it pronounced? I don't know. Yeah, Mulder. Pronounced. Where Ronnie Gonsolskjaer came from. Yeah, ironically. He's a central midfielder called Sivert Mansberg. When you start the game, he's probably a championship player. So I am, I holidayed in my current save, which is where I signed him. I holidayed a year and I decided whoever gets relegated from the Premier League, I'm going to pick one of the clubs that get ready again, and I'll take them over for the championship. It was Norwich. So I signed Norwich and I signed, signed for Norwich and I signed Syvert Mansberg. He has just given the Premier League. I mean, my first, I got promoted and I've just managed to finish third in the league with Norwich. I deserve a medal for that, so I've gone for Um And Syvert Mansberg has just bossed the Premier League alongside another midfielder that we'll get to another day. Um, he costs about £4 million and his wages are about ten grand. He can pass, he can tackle, his physical... For me, I don't know about Ryan, but I imagine he's agree. A lot of the things I look for in a midfielder, especially someone that's going to be box-to-box, -box, is their stamina, their natural fitness, their agility, passing, tackling. He's your all-round midfielder. He's not sensational at anything. But he is your box-to-box -box midfielder, flies around the pitch, scores the odd screamer, which is never a bad thing, and is, uh, on my game, about to be a football manager Champions League player. So... I bet he's not complaining. The first key attribute I look at when signing anyone for any position is their level of determination. If that's 15 or above, I'm going to sign them. Anything below 14, I'm not touching with a bar. Yeah, he's, because, his is 14. Yeah, but... it's because that determination, it tells you how good they are in the big games. So the mm, higher that yeah. rating, the more they're going to perform for you. And speaking of determined midfielders, because the other one I'm going to recommend is, ironically, as a Man United fan, it's a Ferguson. But his name is Lewis Ferguson. He's 21 years old. He plays for Aberdeen. He's not very happy at Aberdeen because he wants to play for Premier League. He's already good to go for Premier League. He's not a great player in terms of potential. He's not going to be a five-star. I think he goes up to about three and a half. So he's a, he's a decent Premier League player that will get to a good Premier League player but one of the key ingredients for this guy and it's something that I found really lacking in not only in football in general but in, especially in football manager is leadership this mm, guy yeah, for a young lad his leadership yeah, is unreal 
his leadership is 17 out of 20. Technically, he's very good. There's a lot of 12s and 13s in there. Mentally, very determined. He's, he's a natural-born leader. His work rate's quite high. Physically, he's fine as well. Everything you essentially want as building blocks for a very good player is there. It'll cost you, again, about three and a half million. I think I got him for, I think it was three and a half and 25% of any future profit. I've seen him as well on FM, on this year's FM, transition to a striker as a deep line forward, which I know sounds mental because he's finishing, I think it's about 10 or 11. Interesting. But with his, with his physical stats and his ability to pass and off the ball and his work rate and stuff, as that man sitting off the striker, he's really good. Yeah. Um, if you look on, there's a website called uh, Football Manager Inside, which basically shows you their attributes and kind of rates how they're actually fit a position effectively out of 100. So it says that central midfielder, he's 67, um, which is Premier League quality. But as, a, as, a, as, a, as I said, as a pressing forward, it's 66. Which so if you, you can yeah. train him to be a Premier League striker, like as I said, he's never going to be your mainstream finisher. But if you're playing him next to someone that will score goals, which we'll see in a minute, it sounds like he'll do a job. Absolutely. And I think the thing is, is if you've got your coaching appointments right, then I think, like I said, the building blocks are there for oh. to, to, to get not, not a fantastic player, but you could easily see him in a couple of years becoming like a Darren Fletcher was at Manchester United. I'm looking at his attributes and people who play FM, if you don't play FM, I'm sorry, you're going to have no idea what I'm about to say, but I'm looking at his attributes and I wanted to play him as a Mazala immediately. <laughs> his ability off the ball, like his off the ball stuff, his physicality, he can pass. I want him just walking around my midfield doing whatever the fuck he wants, frankly. I'd use him as a box-to-box <laughs> midfielder and after having... I can him, understand that as well. I signed him in the January transfer window in my first season at Everton and the beginning of the second season, he'd become my club captain and my team captain because the, the dearth of leadership in in the game and arguably in real life, you need someone really strong. And the other thing I noticed is whether he was having a good game on the, at the time or not, he was just as effective on the team's mentality. Even if he was doing like a 6.6 in performance standard, the team's mentality, if you took him off, the, the control in midfield would go, heads would drop. He's so influential that he's just like, he's one of those players that you can buy. You won't even have to play him every week, even if you've got a team of superstars. But to have him in your dressing room, it really does affect it. I know this sounds all a bit weird considering we're talking about a computer game, but it really does make a difference. The only downside to him is that he does throw himself into tackles. So there is the possibility of the odd red card here and there, but for four million quid, essentially, and a 21-year-old... There. Yeah, and his contract's up the second season. You can't is, go wrong with him, I'm telling you. Physicality is great, right. Two, two years of development under good coaches. And I don't know about you, but the first thing I do when I get into a game is I immediately clear out my coaching staff oh, yeah, and bring yeah. in the people that I want to. And I go for the best in class that I can get. I don't keep Michael Carrick at Manchester United no, because no, no, it's no, Michael no, no. Carrick. I get rid of Michael Carrick because he's not good enough. He can go and get a job somewhere, come back in a couple of years as the dog's nuts and I'll hire him. Yeah, that's the first thing I do. Because the one thing that gets that irritates me so much, so when you start, as a, I think it's any team, 
you sometimes have good first team coaches, good under 18s coaches. I'm yet to find a club that has a good under 23 coach. Yeah. <laughs> no one, like some teams have, like Cholton, for instance, their under 18 setup on FM is really good. They have a good head of youth development, their under 18s manager is good. But the under 23 squad, I'm pretty sure their coaches just go, here's a football. Enjoy. I'll see you later. Because the coaches, that's fucking awful. I think the other thing is, I think the the premise is most of the under 23s is in theory supposed to be working with the, with the senior squad. Yeah, reserves. Like under, it's effectively or, the reserves. Isn't it? Or playing with the under 18s. It's one of the, the issues on the game that I don't like. And if I was like talking to them, I would change. I would want more coaches at under 23 level. Because if you look at the amount of coaches you're allowed at any club, under 18 level and at first team level, you're allowed a lot. And then when you go to under 23 level, you're allowed about three or four. Well, my mate Luke, I know you occasionally listen to this. If you are listening, there you go. You work there. There's a complaint. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. He, he works on the uh, forums, getting the complaints and looking how, taking them to the editors and stuff to work on it. Well, there you go, so, Luke. There's so one for you. There you go, Luke, you boy. <laughs> so mine is a striker uh, who plays in Serie B in Italy called Lorenzo Luca. This man, I love everything about him. He's 20 years old. He is 201 centimetres tall. He's just an absolute animal. He's six foot six with a pace of 13. That's not bad. He can shift. It's Peter Crouch with pace for anyone who's listening. Yeah. He's got really good jumping reach. He's really strong. That determination factor, you say, is 18. He's very determined. Finishing 15, heading 17. Uh, I signed him effectively just because uh, I stumbled across him, really. I was Roma. I cleared out Roma in the summer. Because Roma, it turns out, is shit. So they just had Tammy and I needed to build a strike force. And I didn't have much money left. I think I had like six million. And his release clause was five. And I thought, you know what? My game says he's got a bit of potential. So I signed him and I sit him on the bench. I played him next to Tammy on the opening game because of injuries. And he never lost his place. Uh, he cost, he said, five million pounds. His wages are about 10k. The only problem is when you start the game... He won't. He's only just joined Pisa in real life on the game. So in the beginning of this summer, he'd only just joined Pisa from Veronzia. Veronzia? Some, some with Venezia or someone. Venezia, that's it. So he's he won't leave the club. I've tried to sign him for Man United, Chelsea, just to see, like on saves, to see if he is if it's just, he just will not sign for anyone. Yeah, I've tried to. You have to wait till the January and then he wants to talk. But you need to move fast. Because ironically, I signed him for Roma. On every save I do, if I don't sign him, he goes to Roma. <laughs> and he's there for about six unreal. months and then he goes. I noticed that unreal. the fee's never big either. It's about no. five, six million quid. Yeah, he's got a release clause of, I think it's 5.25, I believe. But again, it's nego- and it doesn't take a lot to negotiate. And the big thing I love about him, and Ryan, you brought it up, is one of his traits is that he loves a big game. Yeah. So... He was my second slash third striker. I had a rotation with him and Kareem Adeyemi, who we'll see in future weeks, because um, both me and Absolutely. Ryan love work, Kareem Adeyemi. If I was playing Inter Milan or I was in the Champions League and it was a big game, Luca started and nine times out of ten, Luca scored. Uh, yeah. he, I'd recommend if you need a striker and especially a big man, if you play, you can play him target man. He also plays advanced forward with no problem. I think his two best roles are actually target forward and poacher. But I also put him before as wide target man because he had a decent, he was reasonably quick with 13 pace. I think his crossing's like 10. 
I put him wide as a wide target man, and I still think he scored twice. So if you've got £5 million and you need a striker, I think, again, be said, if you can talk to him, sometimes he fails his work permit because it depends when Italy cap him and under-21 caps, you, you, if he's been given under-21 caps at that point. But I would say add him to your shortlist. And as soon as another team make a bid, make sure you make a bid because you need this fella. Absolutely. I can completely agree. I've been trying to sign him for every club that I've been at and I just can't get him in. And then I start, that's actually how I stumbled across Roberto Piccoli because like I was looking in Italy and I was like, right, well, I can't get Luca. Let me have a look around and see. And they've got a lot of talent at Atlanta yeah, uh, with uh, Zubata and people like that. And I was like, oh, who's this Piccoli kid? I'll have a look and took the stats. And I was like, yeah, all right, we'll take a punt. And to, to give you a prime example, I was, playing my Arsenal save the other day, just actually did it ironically just to get the scout reports for the people for the podcast. And I brought him on. We were nil-nil at Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. Brought on Roberto Piccoli within five minutes. Bang, one-nil, game one. So I was reading a little bit about Luca because once I found out that he was great on FM, I kind of fell in love with him and then had to go and find what he was, what he was about in real life. So he's 21, has already had about, I think it's about six clubs. Wow. So I wonder if there must, I don't know if there's off-field issues. Uh, I haven't found anything. So he came through the academy at Torino, then moved to Vicencia, then went back back to Torino, then went on loan to like a non-league side, then went back to uh, Vicencia again, played three games, was sold to Palermo. Palermo went bust, so he could more or less walk for free. And then now he's at Pisa and he's done really well. He is currently playing for Italy under 21. He signed a five-year deal with the Serie B club. But on FM, he's a must-buy. You need to get him. And as Ryan has said, like, he's, we'll see oh, some more strikers. We'll, yes. see, we'll see some more strikers in this list for sure. But I think there's only one other striker that I would mention. And that we've mentioned him already in Adiemi that I'd put on Luca's level. Of players you can find and sign, yes. For the money, what he's worth... And he's 20, and I've said I've had him, he's 22. Like, you think where he's going to be in six years when he's 26? If he gets, as you said, you get the coaching staff right around him, Jesus, he's going to be a player. That's On my Norwich thing. save, I'm watching him like a hawk because as soon as Roma stop, as soon as I get to a level where I can get interested in him, he'll be, I'll pay anything for him, I don't care. <laughs> it's the same with Piccoli. The other thing with Piccoli that I've noticed is because of their level of potential of these players, if, if you play them week in, week out, for about three or four months, just start them each week, each game that you can for three or four months, their stats just blow through the roof so quick because the potential is so high. So if you want goals, those two are definitely the, the places to go. And uh, we'll talk about your little secret hack when we talk about Addy Amy, Dan. <laughs> that, that secret hack I use for everyone. Just don't let your mate who works there know. I am... Um... Going a bit off topic, but still FM. Uh, I've just signed. I'm currently, as I said, managing Norwich, and I've just signed the final keeper. Is it Justin? I don't know how to pronounce it. B B O Bishow, like B I J O W, whatever his name is. For the deal is forty million pound, but I'm paying ten. <laughs> and then I think it's thirty over like the next four years, which is absolutely fine by me, because I could sell him at that point. So whatever, just keep churning it back in. Well, I'll tell you what, tune in next week. Uh, if you're an FM player and you're listening to this podcast, tune in next week 
and I'll tell you how to save about 30 million quid that Dan has just spent on a keeper. Yeah. And um, I will, next week, I'll have a, I think I'm going to have a keeper. I've got next week lined up. I'll have a keeper and a defender. So yeah, I was going to say week. next week, well, I think we'll have to talk about this after we finish recording because next week I've got a keeper and a fullback. I know the keepers aren't the same, but I think we might have I was going to say, you know the, the keeper is. The fullback, I think you're all right because mine's a centre back. We'll have a quick chat afterwards just to make sure. Right, so we'll move on to the next one. And it's a, a topic I think we, we'll hit on and, and kind of move on at speed. But I think it's important that we hit on it just to get oh, out there. I really didn't want to do this. No offence to all our listeners. I'm sure the, the subjects we're about to discuss are highly controversial. They've been everywhere. Everyone's talking about them. The reason we don't really talk about these subjects is just because it's not the side of football that we really want to focus on. We really want to put our energy in because we just football for all of us, as Dan has spoke about when it comes to mental health, football for us is escapism. And this is the side of stuff that we don't really want to delve in, but we are going to delve in because obviously it's such big news, but you won't hear too much of this stuff from us because we want to focus on the positive and not the negative. I I don't really know. Don't even really know where to start because I don't really want to fathom it as much as possible. So I think we'll start with the slightly easier one to discuss and we'll start with uh, Kurt Zuma's recent whatever. I mean, I don't even... For those of you who don't know, Kurt Zuma has, was videoed by his brother, who, uh, by the way, his brother has been suspended by Dagenham and Redbridge. Didn't even know um, his brother was a football player. Yeah, but there Johan you Zuma played for Bolton. He's been suspended. He was seen kicking his cat around his house and they were both finding it hilarious. And then, by the way, the bit that got me is he played the next day. Let, let, let's just start at the basics. How dumb a human being are you if you are going to torture your own pet for a start? This, for, for our international listeners and shock horror, yes, we do have them. We have international we listeners. Do, yeah. In every country, animals are viewed slightly different. For example, in India, some animals are sacred. In some countries like Africa, animals are just allowed to run wild. Uh, in, in England, much like in the United States for our American listeners, our animals are family. I, I've had animals growing up, and both me and Dan have. Uh, I actually don't have animals anymore because I get so emotionally attached to them that mentally I can't cope when they get put down. I mean, for example, one of, one of the dogs that me and Dan both had uh, I kept as an adult and unfortunately I had to put her down and it was my 21st birthday that we actually had to put her down. So me and my uncle, and by the way, our, our uncle Peter for our fan uh, is like a six foot six, huge security guard, massive bloke. And there's me and him, I'm six foot myself. And there's me and him walking out of our local veterinarian in tears on my 21st birthday because we had to put the dog down. That's how much in this country we love our pets. They are family. Mm. And I'm not one of these people who goes on about being a fur baby or a dog daddy or a cat daddy. That crosses the line. But we love our cats and our our, our pets, whatever they are, dog, cat, hamster or whatever. They're they're family members. They're, They're treated the same as almost as we treat our children. So for someone to do this, 
and do the things that he done. And he literally, if you haven't seen the video, I'll describe it very briefly for you. He walked into another room, picked up his cat, dropped it on the floor in front of himself with his brother filming it, booted it in the ribs across the room. And then when his kid picked it up a couple of seconds later, he walked up and slapped it around the face until the cat ran away. They chased and harassed this poor animal around the room and was stupid enough to video it and then post it. What the fuck is wrong with you? And then he releases this statement that he's like, I'm very sorry. My pets are really actually looked, cared for and looked after. They're very healthy. It was just an aberration. And it's just, what the fuck more on are you? The bit that I found even worse was David Moyes after his press conference was asked, like, did you have any concerns playing Zuma? And his response was, no, I deal with the football side. Um, Zuma is one of my best defenders, so I play him. And I thought, but the wider issue. But again, I get, I get his point of view, but you need to think about the wider issue here, what's being showed. And I, I, I don't know what the rules are in terms of like, is there a prison sentence, etc. I don't, don't know the ins and outs. I know the cat's been taken away and the police are involved, but I don't know what's going to happen. But, uh, sorry, I'm wrong about Dagenham. Dagenham Redbridge have flat out released Kurt Zuma's brother. Wow, really? So, yeah. So And and Kurt Zuma played the next day and he was the one who kicked the fucking cat. So This is the thing. I'm kind of controversial with this one. If I'd been David Moyes, I would have left him out just to kill the heat. Especially the next day. I'd have played him this weekend. I've seen people talking about Kurt Zuma should be fired from his job. That I'm having a bit more trouble with. What Kurt Zuma did was wrong. It's fucking disgusting. As an animal lover, I've just told you all about how much I love animals. I don't agree with what he did at all. However, from an employment point of view, I don't think you should be able to punish someone at their job that they did in their privacy of their own home. I understand it makes them look bad. It makes the club look bad that they're employing an asshole, but being an asshole isn't against the law, unfortunately. Now, if Kurt Zuma gets arrested by the police, charged by the police and faces a prison sentence, then West Ham have absolutely every right to fire Kurt Zuma, in my opinion, because he's made himself unavailable to do his job because of his behaviour outside of work. So I'd agree. If that's the path that follows, then they fire his ass, and rightly so. But the people right now who are basically council culture, who want everybody counselled the minute everything happens, I don't think someone, in essence, should be able to be fired for someone they do in their private life unless it's a criminal act. Mm. We're going to move on now. This is one that's obviously close to me being a Man United fan, which is Mason Greenwood. Uh, this is the this is horrendous. I'm get out there now. It's so uncomfortable, but it is just it's horrendous, isn't it? I actually haven't seen or heard any of the audio because I just don't, I I don't have the stomach to listen to it. I've heard that it's absolutely horrific. Uh, Mason I've, Greenwood I've, has. I've been, heard the audio. Mason Greenwood has been suspended by Manchester United. Uh, he has been arrested, I believe, charged and bailed. Yes. If that is and then correct. got rearrested again for something else, right? Yes, he's been rearrested, I believe, for uh, threatening behaviour. 
uh, because apparently he threatened to kill the person that he's we have to say at this point in time, allegedly Accused. raped. Yeah. Um, because at the moment it is an allegation. Uh, I understand that the social media posts weren't made by the girl in question, but I believe her parents. So she um, was she was hacked by someone. Um, her parents haven't like, no one has said who, but um, her parents had come out with a statement, didn't they? But I, again, I'll, I'll be completely honest with you, Ryan. I read the allegations. I was sent not sent is the wrong word, but I was on Twitter. It was on my Twitter page. I clicked on it because I didn't read. I just saw the word Mason Greenwood. I heard some of the things that were said and I immediately went on Twitter and banned the word Mason Greenwood so that my his name won't show up on my Twitter feed because nah, uh, nah. I heard a tw- tw- 10 seconds of a two-minute clip and there's no way in hell I'm listening to that ever again. From my understanding, the, the, the audio... There's pictures, there's video, I believe, as well, somewhere. Yeah, that's um, from what I heard. Horrendous. It's, it's from again, my opinion, sounds like from what I've heard him on TV. And what I, from what I heard, it the, the man is, I don't even know how to explain it. Just arrest him, lock him up, throw away the key. I, I was going to say, I think we have discussed this, I think maybe briefly on last week's pod or the weeks before. We touched on it very lightly, but I mean, it beggars belief because there, the, I think I said on a previous pod, there were questions about his attitude and about his behaviours off the pitch. And that was why he wasn't being selected for England and why he wasn't uh, the the regular for Manchester United. It was, But it beggars belief, a man of this talent, uh, of, of this raw natural ability, of this fame, uh, of the financial power, why the hell would you want to risk any of it by behaving in that way? Why would you want to behave that way to another person Full stop. It, it's, it's something, but e- even someone as high profile as Mason Greenwood, you know exactly what the ramifications are going to be. And I'm I'm with you, Dan, 100%. You lock him up, you throw away the key. He's never going to play football again. Because is he still currently contracted by Manchester United? He is, but my understanding is he's suspended by Manchester United. I know uh, he's completely until suspended. Further notice, and I would imagine that that is without pay. Yeah, Not and that, that will, sure. uh, will end in release if. Yeah. Well, that, I'd, his I'd contract say will be terminated if... as soon as soon as a guilty verdict comes out, because obviously, if Man United fire him now and he's found innocent, then there's potential lawsuits galore. From from my understanding, and obviously, again, this is we have to use the words allegations because it's a yeah. legal matter. But my understanding is that it is him. There, yes. there is no, yes. there is no, 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 ifs, no, no, ands, no, no. or buts. It is one hundred percent him. The evidence is damning. Mm. Um, it, th- there is no question that it is Mason Greenwood. And I think the minute Man United suspended him, it was confirmed. The police didn't have to confirm it, but Man United had basically essentially confirmed it. Yeah, it's. Um... It's horrible. I, I said, I just sit here. I don't know what to say. It's the, the thing was, is there was growing up in the nineties, there was a culture amongst footballers of this kind of thing. And there were sex tapes leaks and there were accusations made. I think if I remember, I think it was John Terry tried to go to the court to get his name suppressed in a newspaper. I may be wrong. It might not have been John Terry, but I do remember a footballer trying to get his name suppressed in the Supreme high court to stop him from being named. No, Ryan Giggs in allegations it may have been ryan giggs ryan giggs is another one while we're on this subject ryan giggs if, for people who are 
unaware of where Ryan Giggs is right now. He was the Wales manager, but he's currently suspended from Wales, unless they have released him, I haven't heard, um, because he's under a police investigation for domestic abuse. I believe, no, I don't, uh, so I know obviously someone else is managing Wales at the time being, because um, Robert, Robert Page, Page I believe. Him, yeah, uh, I think he's suspended, obviously a bit like the Greenwood situation. I believe he's suspended waiting for whatever is going to happen court-wise. Um, so I'm a sh- that's what I think it is anyway, but obviously it, I'm not 100% sure. Because it's, it's, unfortunately, it's a culture that, I don't understand why, but it seems to be prevalent in football. I remember, I think it was Dwight York and Mark Bosnich having a sex tape released and accusations made. And would you remember for you that are now watching the watch the last Euros? Karim Benzema was suspended by France, hadn't featured for France for <laughs> year, I think leaking I think a sex like, tape from one of about Matthew, one of his teammates. Yeah, of Matthew Valbuena. <laughs> and so I think that was twenty. Did he get sent home 2010 World Cup for it? Yeah, and he didn't appear from for France again until 2020. Until this year. Yeah, 10 years he missed out on France. How many caps he would have um, And that was just potentially for not even close to what the likes of think, Ryan Giggs I don't even think he, would have I don't even think he leaked the, the tape. I think he threatened to and that he was put for blackmail. <laughs> and then you compare what, as we discussed, what Mason Greenwood has done. And as I said, I think just as soon as possible... It's fucking horrific. Cut, cut the ties and send him away and I don't want to see him here from him ever again. I, I, yeah, I, I don't... Just fucking lock him up and throw away the key. I'm, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I did, when the situation first came out, I did a couple of live streams and I was like, I'm not touching this situation with a barge no. pole because I don't know enough and it's a legal matter. But so much has come to light since. And I mean, there hasn't even been a statement from Mason Greenwood either. Not from no. his legal team, which, as far as which I'm I think aware. is, as far as I and I said this to when we spoke about it on the group, that shows, in my opinion, like he's not saying anything. Speaks volumes. Yeah. So, listen. I mean, I think we we both say, and everyone on the podcast, if Pete was here, completely agree. It's disgusting, as we said, it is allegations right now. But yeah, I mean, it's the worst worst thing you want to hear. You never want to hear anyone, not footballer, not anybody to go no. through what that poor girl has to do and so, obviously there is a fundamental difference between where we started in this conversation in kurt zuma kicking a cat mm. and what mason greenwood alleged to have done yes but the main story arc across this segment for us is that football players can be fucking assholes and that they don't have a fucking clue how good they've got it and this may be a little bit of a controversial statement and i might end up editing this but part of me believes that this is because they're being given way too much too fucking soon. Yeah. They're even treated just, as gods from 15 years old. Even just monetary. I mean, even if you just look now, it's just like back in the day, in the early 90s, if you listen to some of the old pros, for example, Peter Crouch. We love Peter Crouch on this podcast. We talk about Beautiful. Peter Crouch a lot. But you listen to Peter Crouch's podcast and he talks to you about the times when he was cleaning boots and cleaning stadiums and locker rooms and stuff like that. These kids don't fucking know that they're fucking born now because before you know it, Dominic Solanke was the prime example, came up to Chelsea, played one first team game. It was on 70 grand a week and he was about 18 years old. Now you go back to the early nineties when the Premier League first kicked off, Roy Keane and people like that, they're talking about that they were lucky if they got about 250 quid a week. 
Well, I was listening to a podcast. Oh, yes, a day before with former Cholton keeper Rob Elliott. I'm sure yep. you know Rob Elliott, played for Newcastle and Watford. He was saying that 18, Cholton were paying him, I think it was 250 quid a month, uh, to, to, to play for Cholton. And he was having to jump barriers to get to the, yep. to get from, I think it was, I can't remember where he grew up, Chatham or whatever it was, to come to Cholton every day. Now, at 16, Mason Greenwood, we'll use Mason Greenwood as the example because he's the one, sadly, that we're discussing. At 16, he was on good wage already. Mm. He And something that Thousands. I think is a... I, I don't think you're wrong when you say that. They're almost fed the silver spoon and the rest of the outside world... And it is a problem in youth football. I went to school with someone who's... He's, listen, he plays football, as far as I'm aware, he's a very nice bloke. He's always nice to me. But the tr- you could tell by the way that he was treated even by the school as well as the football club he was at at the time, that, that everything is so pretentious. Like, everything was all that, but he's a footballer. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. treated completely different from everyone else. And it you worry that for some people, and you see it sadly, that it takes them to that they think they're not human. They think they're superhuman and they have this God-given right to be in charge of everything and whatever. And just just footballers, <laughs> use your heads. You know, don't, don't be fucking idiots, please. And I'll give you an, an opposite uh, of what we're talking about when it comes to money. I actually used to work with someone who got into pro football, and Dan, Dan knows this story, but uh, mm-hmm. his name was Coyote Odijay. I don't know if he's still playing now. K- he just retired. If you ever hear this podcast, mate, I apologise for this. But not only because probably I got your, couldn't pronounce your surname, but he and I used to work together in McDonald's. It was a job that we both took when we were about 17, 18 years old, around about that. And he actually left us at McDonald's. I think it was to go to, he got signed for, I think it was Bristol City. Bristol City, yeah. And he was a hero to all of us. But all the time he was training, he was still at McDonald's earning his his daily wage and until he made it big. And then you've got players like Mason Greenwood. Even when, to give you a prime example, even when you negotiate contracts on football manager for youth players, if you are, you, if you depending on their status and their talent, you can go from offering someone about 150 quid a week to all of a sudden they want six grand and they're signing mm. for you at 16 years old. The money in real life, sorry, I know I've diverted to a football game temporarily. No, but it's the it's money that, in it, real life is ridiculous. These players are fucking their assholes are wiped with, with, with fucking notes by the time they're about nine years old. If, you if don't, the club they're wants not you. They're not treated like humans, are they? They're, They're given this. And it's given them a dimension. For me personally, don't get me wrong. I'm not sitting here right now. Neither me or Dan are sitting here right now saying all football players are assholes and all football nope. players are the same. Football players do wonderful things in communities. So many uh, have done wonderful things. Marcus Rashford, obviously, being the, the huge example of taking on the government to get yep. fucking school kids fed. Right, so there are wonderful football players out there all the time visiting cancer wards, visiting kids with chemotherapy, going through chemotherapy with, with leukemia. There's some wonderful football players, there really are. And often enough, we only hear the bad about football players and not the good. But the fact that these players are basically spoon fed hundreds of thousands of pounds, millions of pounds by the time they're 18 years old, it gives them a full sense of importance a, a full sense of of where they belong in the hierarchy of the world and clearly someone like mason greenwood 
clearly believes he's above the law with his actions. It's oh, I am. Um, yeah, as a Man United I mean... fan, it makes me fucking sick. We have had a lot of controversy at Old Trafford over the years, from Eric Cantona kicking a fan to sex tapes with Dwight York and Mark Bosnich, I believe it was, to what Mason Green was done now. Even with Wayne Rooney, where he got caught shagging a granny, uh, a, 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 a pension of prostitute or whatever the fuck it was. There's been so much controversy at Manchester United. But as a Manchester United fan, what Mason Greenwood has done, allegedly, until it's been proven beyond reasonable proven. doubt in a court of law, makes me, as a Manchester United fan, fucking sick. And I do not want him associated with my football club anymore. Yeah, so I think we'll uh, we'll move on from that, Ryan. I think, um, yeah, just to say, as, as we've covered, football funders, of course, condone any allegations made, and yeah. any actions. We hope that if they are true, if they are accurate and people are sentenced, that justice and, is served. Yeah, the, the law is served to the fullest extent. Yes, of course. So we're going to move on to... A happier subject, because I don't think you can get much more than, sadly, what we've discussed. And we're going to talk about some childhood heroes in football to end this week's podcast. So, um, Ryan, I think I'll start. Go for with it. With one that... So, again, it's, this is probably not childhood. This is me as a teenager, but I think it's the story of the person. So, I'm going to start with a former Cholton player, which is Jan Kermigan. Um, Jan Kermigan for Cholton was sensational. One of the best players I've seen in League One in the Championship and could have been in Premier League, should have been, but sadly had two spells with leukaemia in his footballing career. One as a, a young prospect coming through in France and then one just before he joined Leicester. Um, the man fought cancer twice, won twice, was still able to play football at a massive level. And I think regardless of how you think about him as a footballer, that's a, that's a good story. That's a positive story. And the same goes for Leon McKenzie, who I'll be nice, I'll be honest, I didn't rate him at Charlton um, as a footballer. But his story and his openness with mental health, depression, uh, suicide, etc., that he spoke about so openly. You're supposed to be cheering this up, Dan. No, I know. I'm just saying he's my hero because <laughs> yeah, to, no, come absolutely. Out and, to come out and speak about it. And without him, I don't talk about my issues. So he's a hero for me. Um, then I'll go to one good one and I'll move on to you because I've got a few but the next one is Roberto Carlos the man with thunderous thighs for, um, for me Roberto Carlos is I don't want to say his prime but when I knew Roberto Carlos I was seven six eight you knew him personally yeah you, you picked yeah yeah he used to drink in Plumstead yeah, um, just just out that... of, by, by the way ladies and gentlemen we, ha we are talking to a man who has met the queen I have met the Queen, yes. I'm very posh. Yeah, yeah. yeah so Roberto, we're watching Roberto Carlos. And I kept, when I was young, and I, play, I played football for a local team, and everyone would go, oh, you're left-footed. Oh, you're left-footed. I was shit at football, but I was left-footed. <laughs> so um, Roberto Carlos was, the when I was young, the big name left-footed. Well, Christian Vieri as well. But for someone that I played on the, on the left side of my team, the left-back, left-mid, so to watch Roberto Carlos on TV and have a big name like stand that free kick, for example, Little everyone more. talked about. Just every every time I watch Roberto Carlos watching his left foot, and it was like, hey, he's, he's like me, <laughs> just very much better than me. Yeah, but he just was a the lot first better player. than you. Yeah. 
it was the first player that I kind of watched and was like, do you know what? Because before, when you, you said you were left-footed, everyone was like, oh, you're weird. <laughs> I do it even now. Like, you pick up a pen and I start writing, and people are like, oh, you're left-handed. I'm like, yeah. So to watch someone play football use their left foot and people rave about it, it was really nice. It's a bit random. But, yeah, that's the... I've got a few more, but I'll let Ryan have a go. Well, funnily enough, speaking of, of left-footers, my, my biggest hero, I know I've raved about Dennis Irwin on this podcast, but it's not actually Dennis Irwin. Uh, the reason I became a Manchester United fan was actually Lee Sharp. Just to put it easily for listeners, he was David Beckham before David Beckham arrived. David Beckham's he, on my list. He so. wasn't. He wasn't particularly quick. He wasn't massively skillful, but he had a hell of a left foot. And and he was. We talk about characters in football, and most people talk about the aggressive ones like Roy Keane and Patrick Vieira. But Lee Sharp was the first football player that I remember that let his character out in terms of, of how he played and his goal celebrations. He did the Sharpie shuffle. If, if you want to know what that is, you can Google the, the Sharpie shuffle. I'm sure there's a video of it on YouTube, but he was like, when he scored a goal, he was dancing with, with corner flags and singing into him like he was Elvis Presley. And, and he was a hell of a player as well. If you go back and watch him in his younger days, he obviously got usurped by Ryan Giggs because despite what... Because it's Ryan Giggs. <laughs> I think of Ryan Giggs as a human being, as a football player, Ryan Giggs has been one of the greatest of all time. Um, but Lee Sharp, trust me, had Lee Sharp not suffered a knee injury uh, that he suffered and had he not had what now proves to be the... I wouldn't say mental health issues, but he struggled with confidence. And I've if... if if you're a Man United fan or if you're not and you want to hear stories about people, go to the Manchester United podcast and he did a podcast and he spoke openly about how different he reacted to Alex Ferguson's treatment uh, to some, the, the way he was treated by Alex Ferguson. The way it made people like David Beckham thrive and Ryan Giggs thrive, but unfortunately for Lee Sharp, it didn't have the same effect. But there was no doubt he had massive talent and he was a hell of a left foot and... He was someone I could relate to because, like me, I wasn't fantastically quick or a jinky winky winger or a jinky winky winger. That's a new one for me. I don't think I've used that word before. Yeah, yeah. Teletubby. Brian, the footballing Teletubby. Jinky winky. <laughs> <laughs> I think mean, we'll have to clip that one for Twitter. <laughs> but yeah, for, for me, Lee, Lee Sharp was the first footballer that I kind of fell in love with. And like I said, he was David Beckham because he was he was pulling the ladies, you know, before he was the first like footballer that all the girls fancied and put posters up on his wall. And he was the player that I most wanted to be, even though that my the only good thing my left foot was for was for standing on. <laughs> um, that was about it. I am so right footed. So speaking of David Beckham, David Beckham was another one because he was basically the right-footed Lee Sharp for me. So it was like, oh, I can be David Beckham. Unfortunately, skills level, I was more Gary Neville than David Beckham. <laughs> but, and unfortunately, at the time, you can't see it now because I'm 40 and really going bald rather quickly, uh, which is why I've had to like shave my head now. Uh, I'm not looking forward to Pete coming back on the podcast and giving me stick for this <laughs> next week. Um, but I used to actually have curtains like David Beckham did, except for they were... And the, and the highlights. <laughs> yeah, at one point I did actually have the highlights as well. Um, but they were actually... It got to the point where it was like Ryan Giggs, curly, 
curtains in the end. But unfortunately, I played and looked a lot more like Gary Neville than I did David Beckham. Which, to be honest, if I'd still had Gary Neville's career, I would have been flying to the moon on that one. But yeah, David Beckham was another one very much a hero for me. Because no matter, one other thing about David Beckham was no matter what happened to him, no matter what was written about him in the paper, the minute he stepped onto that football pitch, he bled Man United. He even didn't want to leave, even though he had an illustrious career elsewhere. But he bled Man United and you could never knock. One thing you could never do with David Beckham was knock his work rate. He, he was a worker right till the end. Dan? Yeah, Beckham's on my list. Um I don't even know how to start. My kind of early football met. I'm a, a 96 baby, so I'm starting going to kind of watch your football in the early 2000s. So one of the first memories I have is David Beckham's free kick against Greece. Yep. And just watching everyone go potty. <laughs> and um, he was, for me as a kid, everyone in the playground was David Beckham. Everyone was David Beckham. Everyone wanted to... When we got the ball, we put the ball down over a free kick. It was, oh, here we go, I'm David Beckham. I remember like I'd even tried to use my right foot, which was terrible, because I wanted to be David Beckham. You know, always in the news, footballer, captain of England, captain of United at that point? On and off, uh, we had Roy Keane. So yeah, there, so, were yeah. time, there were times when, when he was Beckham, suspended. <laughs> yeah, there were times that Beckham <laughs> did captain the side, but we had but, yeah, just times, uh, we, we had players of... Gary Neville, Roy Keane, Steve Bruce, Gary Pallister. The, the, thing that, the things that I love watching with David Beckham was, as you said, he wasn't particularly quick or skillful, but he got on that ball and you watched, again, I'll get on someone in a minute, my other player that I want to mention. I've got two more, by the way, that we'll mention. But I've got two as well, so it's fine. Beckham's, he got the ball and you knew something exciting was going to happen. And as a kid, you know, six, seven, eight, I watched football because it was exciting and David Beckham was one of those players that when I turned on Match of the Day and I sat in front of the TV watching Match of the Day, I was waiting for the David Beckham clips. I was waiting for the Ryan Giggs clips. You know, watching... I remember going to watch United play Man United and I think Man United spanked us. But I watched... Uh, I can even tell you what kit there and it was a black kit. You might have been right. I might have gone with you. You did. I think you were about eight years old or Van something. Van scored right in front of me. <laughs> no, that wasn't me. I remember the game that I went to. If I remember rightly, it was Ole Gunnar Solskjaer scored both goals right in front oh, of me. Oh, maybe it was Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I remember seeing yeah. Van Nistelrooy celebrate. It might have been Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. But they were in a black shirt, which I loved that Man United shirt. Do you know what I'm talking about? I think so, yeah. Uh, 02, rightly, 03? I think it was the same year that we launched the uh, reversible gold and silver it was, kit. It was... I loved that shirt. And... Um, yeah, just Beckham got the ball and even Cholton fans, you could just stand in there, you knew like something's going to happen here. <laughs> so that it, so I'll move on to someone that I'll say what country he's from and Ryan will probably know immediately. So it's uh, he's an Italian striker from Roma. An Italian striker from Roma? Yes. Francesco Totti, it has to be. It's Francesco Totti. So my player, as Ryan's just guessed, is Francesco Totti. When I was quite young, I started watching Italian football, and I have no idea why, but Ryan has just told me it's probably it his fault. It was my fault, yeah. <laughs> it was my fault. And um, I just watched, started watching Roma because, I'll be honest, I like their shirts. When we did a really early podcast, if you're a long-time listener, you remember we did a football shirt. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Chat, and I brought up like three Roma shirts because I had them all because I liked Roma. And Francesco Totti was 
there. <laughs> he was just there for he was there for years, wasn't he? Like when Forever, I was, it was young, his he was there. Then I think you know I grew up. I grew up as Totti's career just kept going, and I was he's gonna fall. He won't play for much longer. He won't play for much longer. He won't play, and he was just there. <laughs> and um, and he never stopped scoring goals till about 2013, which was at that point he'd been playing for 20 years. Yeah, I think he was about um, 40 by that time. And, and it was just, yeah, again, he's another one that I, he was never like one of the best players in the world by Ballon d'Or standards, etc. But he got the ball. Again, I, it's something that I, I really like. So he just got the ball and you were like, well, this is, this is going to be beautiful. I don't know what he's going to do, but it's going to be great. <laughs> and he think- just get the ball and do, he made it look so simple every time he played football. I think the big shame for me when it comes to Totti is he didn't win as much as his talent should have no, won because, because he was, he was because a Roma. Of Roma. Yeah, but his loyalty is commendable. I mean, there's very few people in in football that have been one club one uh, one club wonders as they're known in this country. I mean, look, um, his honors board is a one Serie A. It's not enough. Just that's, 20... that. that's it. Just one. He stat. played twenty four seasons with Roma and won one Serie A. Yeah. Three Copper Americas, two Super Copper Americas, however, did win a World Cup really. By the way, that Italian side, Phil. Um, but individually, he, he just he won so much. It's not even worth going through because he's got loads of individual honours. But yeah, I loved watching Francesco Totti. And I think a lot of people in my generation probably don't count Totti. But because of my weird fascination with Roma that still exists today, from, just because of the shirt, literally. But I've just clung on to him now. Totti will always stand out as one of those players. So I'd put him in every list I ever put on. If I'm talking about strikers, if I'm talking about Italy, Totti comes up. <laughs> I, th- I think for me, it, we're, we're, we're going to stay in Italy because th- there's so many that I could list as heroes. I've spoken about Boban on this podcast before when we talked about our favourite midfielders of all time. Ryan Giggs would have been one of my all-time heroes had it not been for accusations that we, we've discussed. Um, but one of my biggest heroes, especially in my early years of really getting into football, was a player known as the Divine Ponytail, which was Roberto Baggio. Uh, Dan's a bit too young for Baggio, unfortunately, but he was... I'm, he was I'm the, too young to see him of plane, but I've seen videos, so I'm fully aware. <laughs> he was, in essence, the, the, the souped-up version of Francesco Totti, the Francesco Totti that won all the... The, the trophies that, that Totti didn't win. He was in the Milan side. He was in the Juventus side that won everything. Skill, poise, intelligence. It, the, the common phrase now is, what a baller. It, seriously, you can go on YouTube. And the picture, the, some of the videos, unfortunately, aren't too great because they're from like Channel 4, 1994. You know, but you can just watch him and... He was in an AC Milan side as well at the time with like George Weyer and Paolo Maldini and Franco Baresi and Giuseppe Rossi, the, the Albertini, Boba, the, the list it was filth. And, and the other one, of course, being a Man United fan, it goes without saying, is Eric Cantona, the pomp of the man, just the way he'd flip that collar. And the, the, the audacity of some of his goals. I'll never forget that goal. I think it was against Sunderland, where I don't know that if Dan, if you've seen this goal, but um, he's the cup game. 
I can't remember if it was cup game, but he literally just stood on the end of, of, of the edge of the outside of the area and just literally lobbed. I think his name was Lionel Perez. Um, yes, Lionel Perez. No, it Ben was, Roberts. It was Ben uh, Roberts. You sure? Mm. Because I think it ben was Roberts. Perez. No, it's, I know it's Ben Roberts because Ben Roberts did an interview when I was working at Cholton and he said that it was one of the, he doesn't normally play, he was the backup, but he was made to play and okay. straight away he conceded a screamer. By, so I remember it was him. I thought it was no, was that Di Matteo? That might be Di Matteo. I think it was Perez. I think it was. It was so it must have been Perez. Perez French was the Sunderland. Perez. Yeah, he was the Sunderland keeper when we beat them at Wembley the first time. Sorry, Sunderland. And, and literally, it was just, he just literally lobbed him and he just stood there, head up, looking around as if to say, this is me, this is what I do. And he changed that Man United side forever. And if I'd had an ounce of the skill Canton I had, I would have been happy. Um, <laughs> I, I really would. It's just the sheer, the technique. Uh, there was an argument... I was actually listening to uh, the radio today and uh, Darren Bent was trying to convince people that Dennis Bergkamp was better than Eric Cantona as a football player. Now, Dennis Bergkamp was a hell of a player, fantastic player, Did a, had a couple of amazing years in England. But for me, uh, uh, no. And I think that's a segment we're going to do in the future, maybe next week where we'll do our top five Premier League players of all time. Could, oh, fucking hell. That could prove interesting, <laughs> I'm telling you. Well, I know who my number one is and people aren't going to like it, but we'll wait till next week. So my last one, um, I haven't been at Cholton yet. We, I've, but I've done Italy, I've done David Beckham and Roberto Carlos, and then obviously I spoke about mental health and cancer and stuff. So we'll move on to someone that... We'll end on a happy note. Yes. It's Matt Holland. Got nothing to do with his football ability, to be honest. Um, Matt Holland. Who wasn't a bad player, let's be fair. He wasn't a bad player. A very good player. Good time at Charlton and a good time. I think it was at Ipswich as well. Ipswich, yes. It was fantastic for a long period of the Premier League. He wasn't the world's best, but he was definitely a quality And Ireland. I mean, an Ireland international. I think might have captained Ireland after Roy Keane fucked off. (laughs) Um, Matt Holland, again, he's one of those players that when we Charlton fans love because gave everything. Body on the line. And the amount of games I saw him in a, as a kid in a Charlton shirt with a bandage around his head because he'd been smashed to pieces but had carried on. And there's a goal he scored. And for a lot, I think it might have been Everton away. And Charlton used it on the board before we kick off. There's like a video package that comes on the video package on our wrestling fan base there. Um, there's like a video package that plays on our screen. And it's Matt Holland celebration bandage around his head. He jumps on Marcus and Darren Bent. One of them is good. One of them shit. I'll let you work out which one's which. And it's, yeah, he's just a hero. And then they say, never meet your heroes. And um, I met Matt Holland. So once Charlton, uh, Charlton got relegated when I was 11. I believe around there. I was at primary school. And um, me and my dad used to sit in the, the quadrant at the, at the stadium where the noisy buggers just finish and becomes the family stand. I was crying because I was a kid and my team had just been relegated for the Premier League. Set me up for what was to come because I've seen four since. So, and two players came over, saw me crying as they were clapping to the fans. So Matt Holland and a defender called Solomon Diawara came over, kind of gave me a hug, spoke to dad and, and walked off. And then when I was about 19, my dad started working in the media team and 
Matt Holland was in there and I used to not go in for the interviews. I used to stand outside and I used to be given a few things to do by the media manager because I knew him. So I'd do bits and pieces, do running around, bit more of an errands boy, like taking the team, sheet, team sheets to people and stuff. And um, Dad was doing an interview with Matt Holland and I told him, you know, my son actually out there at the minute, he loves you, you're a favourite child player. And Matt Holland said, go and get him. So Matt Holland came out, came and found me. I was like, are you? I said, yes, of course I'm down. Yeah, and he took me in and we chatted for about 20 minutes. Just about Charlton and him and me. He was asking questions about me, like what school did I go to? How was school? What am I doing for a job and stuff? And it was like, me, he's actually a really nice fella. <laughs> like, and that, that just meant, that meant even more because not only was he a, you know, one of my favourite players in the Charlton shirt, he's also a fucking brilliant fella. And then a few years later, I saw him again and he remembered me. He was came to Jack, Johnny Jackson, now Charlton manager, did like an academy. And Matt Holland was one of the people that did something for it. And I used to help out with Jacko and the, and the academy. And he remembered me. <laughs> I was like, okay. So that, so yeah, he would be a hero for many reasons, but Matt Holland's definitely up there. I, I think that's a really nice note to actually end it on. There's no no Shitazri this week. There's no punk um, upon it because there's been so much rubbish to talk about. Yeah. The, the plonkers this week have been the football mentioned already. Yeah. yeah. So on a on a nice note, I think we'll end it there. Before we do go, cool. keep an eye out on our social media pages because me and Dan are working towards a little something in the future. It's not set in stone yet, but we're going to we may be bringing you another show with a little bit of a twist so yes keep your eyes open and as soon as we've got more details we'll let you know yes and also while we're on it because we did kind of touch on it when it started but congratulations to Senegal for winning their first African Cup of Nations uh, they beat Egypt on penalties over the weekend so congratulations to Sadio Mane and his fellow countrymen and uh, it's ironically Senegal will play Egypt Again, home and away in a few months to determine who goes to the World Cup. So, yes, and uh, I think that was a good way to end this week's podcast. So, again, thank you, everyone, for listening to episode 32. We are, of course, sponsored by Let Us Talk Mental Health. You can find them on Twitter at LetUsTalk underscore MH. Uh, you can find them. Hopefully, we'll be playing in the near future. And then, of course, our other ones at the Proper Blokes Club. They're doing walks for men's mental health. You can chat to every or everyone about anything. Uh, Ryan goes on a lot of them. So again, Ryan, I'll ask you to sum them up after your walk yesterday. Yeah, it's very simple. Just a bunch of blokes getting together, going for a walk to try and chat about whatever's bothering them or forget about whatever's bothering them. A lot of people in the same situation, dealing with the same circumstances or very, very similar. My local group is a great bunch of lads. They really are lovely. There's different numbers of people each week, but no one's judging anyone. Everyone can pretty much relate to each other. And it is just, it's good for your soul is the best way to describe it. It's good for your mental health and it's good for your soul. So go to www.theproperblokesclub.co.uk. Have a look on the website and see if there's a walk near you. If not, get in touch with the guys. Uh, They're on social media everywhere. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Twitter everywhere. Their website. They might be able to help you set one up for your area. Yeah, and also possibly in the near future we'll be speaking to Victoria again from her game two to have a bit more of a chat because her game two. I don't know if Ryan, if you've seen it, but they are moving big time. Absolutely. They are getting 
coverage everywhere, which is fantastic to see. It's so impressive, so, and I hope Man United are going to get their yes, rearranging um, too. especially at this time with what's been surrounding the club recently. Mm-hmm. I think it, I think it would be only right that Manchester United made an additional effort. Yes, I've purchased a hoodie from them, which will be making appearance soon. So, um, yeah, that well, that ends episode thirty-two. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you very much, Dan. Thank I have been listening. Dan as usual. See you later. Take care.